All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. Hey friends, I have some good news for you. Rethinking Faith will be back in action once again this year at Theology Beer Camp as the God Pods strike back. This event will be October 19th through the 21st in Springfield, Missouri. And this year, the God Pods are looking amazing. We have friends such as the New Evangelicals, You Have Permission, Homebrewed Christianity, The Bible for Normal People, Crackers and Grape Juice, A Tiny Revolution, Secret Art Project, A People's Theology, Rev Covery, and more. And on top of that, we have some fun Jedi Masters hanging out, bringing craft nerdiness such as John Dominic Carlson, Reggie Williams, Adam Clark, Sarah Lane Ritchie, Myron Penner, Thomas J. Orr, Jay McDaniel, Roberto Shea, Espinoza, Pete Enns, Leah Robertson, Tony Jones, and more. It is going to be a blast. For more information, head over to theologybeer.camp. You can use promo code RethinkingGodPod, all one word, capital letters, Rethinking God Pod for $25 off of your registration fee. Come on and hang out this year at Theology Beer Camp. It was a blast last year. I enjoyed getting to see and meet so many of uh, you listeners, and I look forward to hanging out this year once again. So, again, theologybeer.camp and use promo code Rethinking God Pod. Hope to see you guys there. Well, welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today is a returning guest, Matthias Roberts. How are we doing? I am well. Thank you so much for having me back. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks for allowing me to re-record that intro because I definitely (laughs) called you the wrong... Well, I mispronounced your name, which in the last episode we did together, I did the entire time, which is embarrassing. So forgive me, but um, this time I I got it right. So thank you for the the helpful correction. (laughs) Yeah, it happens all the time. So, (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, um, welcome back to the show. It's been... I think the first time we had you on was uh, when your book Beyond Shame had come out. Yeah. Um, in 2020. And a lot has happened yeah. since then. <laughs> <laughs> a lot has happened since then. I was actually uh, I was thinking uh, prior to our conversation today about how much I would like to um, re like have the conversation around the beyond shame stuff um, mm-hmm. as the Josh Patterson that exists today uh, mm-hmm. versus the Josh Patterson of of uh, the past. Mm-hmm. Um you know, not to shit on past Josh Patterson. I, I appreciate past Josh, but um, I just feel like it'd be a different kind of conversation. I imagine it would be. And I think that means you've grown, which is a good thing. <laughs> Some people might say so, but <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Matthias, for people who didn't catch that episode and are confused because I was calling you um, not your name in the first one. <laughs> Can you just kind of fill us in a little bit on uh, who you are and yeah. what kind of uh, stuff you find yourself doing? 
Yeah, happy to. Yeah, so primarily I'm a therapist. Uh, I I work uh, particularly with folks uh, who have experienced trauma. Uh, I do a lot of work with religious trauma, but also other forms of trauma. Uh, but also write and speak around kind of intersections of faith and identity and LGBTQ issues. I'm gay myself. I uh, have a little podcast called Queerology. Talk about all those things. Uh, so big mix of therapy and faith and trauma all you know fun fun stuff (laughs) yeah i love um i love that you um bring both of those things together Uh, i think often um you know theology and psychology um are just left separate which i think Mm -hmm. is um is a real disservice and so um I love that you bring them together. You did a lot of that in Beyond Shame, and you do a lot of that in your new book, uh, Holy Runaways, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting. Um, so yeah, I, actually, I'm just kind of curious how how was it that you kind of came into doing both of those things? Yeah, you know, it, it was an accident. <laughs> I ended up going to a school called the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, and like that school does those two things together. <laughs> and, and I went particularly to get a degree in theology and found myself really gravitating towards the psychological side, and which was a shock to me. It was something I didn't expect at all. And eventually decided to not only do a, a master's in theology and culture, but also add on a master's in counseling psychology which had an added benefit of having a, you know, a career path, which was helpful. And, and, but have never left that side of me that is so interested in these theological conversations. And I think, especially when we're working with religious and spiritual trauma, being able to hold those things together is really important. Being able to separate them is also really important. Like I think we need to be able to get away from some of that stuff too, especially for folks who who healing may not look like holding on to spirituality or faith. Um, but I, I feel like being able to swim in the, all those worlds together is so important. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. And I think um, as far as my understanding goes, I'm not, you know, I'm not a psychologist and I have not studied much psychology, but it's my understanding that, um, within that world kind of the study around um like spiritual abuse and trauma or religious abuse and trauma is something that's not uh super prominent mm-hmm. um i know that uh if i remember correctly a mutual friend of ours dan coke which is how mm-hmm. i think i met you <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> if i remember yeah. dan put us into contact i know dan does that kind of work yes um and i i don't know i just i think it's so important especially as somebody who um personally has experienced those kind of things and couldn't fully make sense of my experience and my realities purely through um like a theological lens um especially when that lens um was part of the problem in the first place um and so i think all that to say i think the kind of work that you're doing um is just really uh important and helpful Mm -hmm. and it's benefited people like myself greatly so Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting yourself out uh, out there in that way and and taking on that task. I know it's not an easy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. It, it is. I mean, certainly there are a lot more people now talking about it than there were even three, four years ago. And you know, Dan is someone who's kind of pioneering some of that research and his doctoral work. Uh, there are others. Dr. Hillary McBride is doing that work, uh, and more and more people popping up all over the place because there are so many people who are leaving faith communities. And and that is exactly what my new book, Holy Runaways is trying to get at. Like what happens when we need to walk away, run away from a community? What do we do? (laughs) Yeah. And I, um, I think too, one thing that I kind of focus a lot on in, um, on this podcast, and I think is, is just helpful in general is the idea of story. Mm-hmm. And so within your um, your new book, you couch, I mean, the entire thing is couched um, in your own story, yes. uh, which I think is really is really powerful because then um, 
you know, again, once, you know, you kind of go into a place where you're vulnerable and kind of put yourself out there and invite people into um, your story, then uh, others can find themselves there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know as I was reading your book, there were a couple of times uh, when I found myself uh, chuckling, you know, mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, yes, I know, you know, I know this experience or I I felt myself um feeling empathetic because I'm like, Oh yes, I know the pain of this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's, um, it's neat that it, your book is not just this like kind of academic take on things, but I mean, it very much has that, but also is couched in your story. Um, and is that's kind of the, the way you present things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah. That was, uh, hard fought in some ways like i when i when i first kind of wrote the book i i got i mean i wasn't done with the book but i was pretty far into the book reading back over pieces of it and talking with my editor and i was like this is so boring like (laughs) everything that i've written is so boring and i like focused on the kind of like the more clinical stuff the more practical stuff the research like and i was like this is no one's gonna want to read this and i was like how are how do we make this book something that that people will actually resonate with? Uh, and the thing that kept coming back was like, I need to put my own story into it. And it was a, it was hard. I didn't, I didn't really want to want to open up that much. Um, and yet I feel really proud of the ways I did open up. Like I, I am really proud of where it came, but originally that wasn't the plan. <laughs> oh, well, I, I know I am grateful um that you did did decide to to open up um in that way and also also too like i i don't know i i keep giving you compliments before we even get into talking about your book but i i really enjoyed it i um i love to you kind of has this um almost like a like a devotional feel to it mm. where each of like the individual like so you have your sections and all, like the sections are are all coherent together, um, and then within your your sections, each kind of like chapter almost felt like a meditation of sorts. Um, like I found it, I could like read one of the sections and then just kind of um, sit with it for mm. a little bit and kind of mm. let that section um, kind of germinate a little bit, mm. um, and then move into like the next section, and and then again it's like tied in, and then. Um, once again, like, just be like, oh, like, I want to sit with this for a minute. And then it just had like this really, um, I felt kind of drawn into like a contemplative kind of mode um, mm-hmm. of engaging with with your work. So I didn't know if that was something you did intentionally. Um, if that just is like how your writing style kind of uh, comes out. I don't know. First, uh, that makes me so happy to hear because it was uh, intentional, at least in the I tried like in that sense, like I, that's what I wanted (laughs) was, was, was that experience reading the book. So, so it wasn't just a book that people could kind of read in a more disembodied way, which you certainly can, but I really wanted to, to try to invite people into that experience of, we're not just telling my story. We're not just sharing research. I want you as a reader to get into your story and uh, so to, to hear that that happened for you means the world to me because worked really hard on that. Yeah. Cool. I think you well accomplished. Um, <laughs> yeah. And even too, I mean, I, we're going to uh, get to this, but I, when I'm, you know, thinking about just examples of something that kind of made me uh, chuckle or like had me relive um, like a positive, you know, thing um, was you, you tell this story um, in the first section about like, if I remember correctly, you're like sitting in the back of um, a car and like in your mind, like telling a mountain to move. Yes. <laughs> I had done that so many times. <laughs> yeah. I remember like literally doing that, uh, taking that verse, you know, you have that, that whole section about the the mustard seed, but I, I remember literally doing that, taking that verse and, um, really believing it and mm-hmm. and trying all that i could do to get 
a mountain to move, but then I would like make it smaller. And okay, like, well, maybe can't do a mountain, but maybe I could do like a tree. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I couldn't do the tree, make it smaller. And I, I never succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so curious, Josh. Did that like because for me, and talk about this in the book a little bit, like that felt like an indictment against my own faith. Like curious, like was that your experience too? Like not being able to move a literal mountain, like or anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it it um it did feel like an indictment. And I know um our stories are even though there are similarities, they're also very different. Um as in like um I have so I haven't had the kind of experiences um, where my, um, sexuality has been questioned and I'm told like, I basically shouldn't exist. Like I am a white cisgender heterosexual male. <laughs> so I, I haven't had that experience. Um, but it did feel like an indictment, uh, because I remember too thinking more specifically for me, the things that were difficult was like, oh, if, well, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, then like these people in your life, would uh like stop doing drugs like i had an uncle growing up who is um cons consistently in and out of rehab or um you would be able to heal your um like aunt's uh cancer diagnosis like these kind of things um and so although the memory makes me chuckle it was also uh difficult because there was that kind of indictment aspect i'm like what am i doing wrong um <laughs> that I can't even muster up the smallest, you know, amount of faith. Um, yeah. Like what, what's wrong with me kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like that. Yeah. It, it, it's such a, it is such a funny memory, but, but such also a, a deep experience of, I mean, I'm doing this thing right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it then it kind of it plays into shame as well, which is something you you talk about in your book later. Um, and I I actually even remember now this memory just came to me um, when I was still a pastor. The first church that I worked at was a very unhealthy place, uh, very toxic. Um, and I remember they would always preach sermons about money, like all the mm. time, <laughs> mm. like why you should give money to the church. And it was definitely like prosperity gospel light, if not like just veiled prosperity gospel. And there was a volunteer um, and she uh, would come every Sunday and volunteer her time. The church was portable. There was no church building. So we would set up and tear down every week. And that included the children's ministry space, which we would essentially set up a daycare center and tear it down. And this volunteer was there every Sunday, setting up, tearing down and and running the daycare the, or children's program. Um, and I remember her pulling me aside one time and just weeping. And I was like, are you, are you okay? Like, did something happen? Um, and she shared with me, she was like, Pastor Josh, I don't understand. I do all the things that I'm told. You know, I give my 20%. I have my faith. I do all these kind of things. And I'm still stuck in like these financial struggles that I can't get out of. I still don't have enough food to feed my family. Like, what am I doing wrong? Is like, is my faith not good enough? And I think that's kind of um, an experience that a lot of people have. Yes. Right. And in, 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 in an experience that, that I think should maybe indicate to us that something is very wrong here. <laughs> Like, like, I mean, I think, you know, Jesus said, I came so that you might have abundant life. And like, that is not abundant life. <laughs> like, like, and, and like that sense of having to strive and keep striving and suffer, wondering if I have enough faith, um, thinking like somehow if I just had more faith, everything would get better. Like that is not abundant life. And, and, I, and I feel like faith communities that then stroke the flames of that um, are, are doing something profoundly wrong um, and 
you know, I think that's when we start to get into categories of like spiritual abuse. Yeah. So for you at, you know, we've been talking about like your own story, where, where does this um, mustard seed bit come in for you and your own story? And um, like, how does that maybe tie into um, kind of your initial, uh, I am now a holy runaway? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as I kind of played with this idea of, of, of this story, you know, where Jesus's disciples come to Jesus and because they tried to heal someone, they tried to heal this, this little kid, uh, where the text says like he, he, this kid fell into fire, into water. And these disciples tried to heal this kid and, and they couldn't, they did, they didn't heal. And, you know, and Jesus says to them, you couldn't heal them because you didn't have enough faith. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but like you couldn't heal them because you didn't have enough faith. But then almost in the same breath, he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And and as I read that, I was like, wait a second. Like something about this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, like Jesus is saying, you didn't have enough faith, but you don't need much. Like w- what is going on here? He, he gets angry at the disciples. He calls them perverse, faithless. Um, and I began to wonder, like, I wonder if Jesus is maybe saying something different here. Not, you need more faith, but more, can you trust the faith that you do have? Like, could it already be there? <laughs> and you couldn't heal because you weren't actually trusting in the abilities that I have given you. Um, and, and that started to open up so much for me, which is really what this book came from, <laughs> was like, what does it mean to stop trying, ultimately? Yeah, I loved that um, that reinterpretation of that. And that was that was another moment for me um, where I kind of stopped and and sat with that um, because I've kind of I've come to this conclusion when I read um more contemplative um, writers or, or speakers, or, you know, I'm a fan of the the Christian mystics. Uh, well, not just the Christian mystics. I like the mystics yes, overall. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> overall, um, overall. Uh, but they, they have this way of pulling something out of you that has been there the whole time, but maybe you didn't see, or that you somehow feel like you have this, this is and again metaphorical language, but this faint memory of, but it, it hasn't really been. It's something being reawakened, um, and when you are telling that story, it or that interpretation of the story, I'm like, ah, yeah. So like, could it be that Jesus is doing the same thing, trying to remind the disciples to that, like, ah, yes, there is this, there is something there. Um, yeah. Can you be reawakened to it? So that was a um, a really beautiful interpretation of that passage. Mm-hmm. Um, I dig it. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, and, and so the way I think it ties into this idea of like runaways, it, it, it ultimately I think so many of us, or I mean, I will speak for myself. I, I was in so many communities that the message was strive more. You need more faith. You need to be X, Y, and Z. You need to become straight. Like, you, like all of these things that were kind of being piled on and was seeing no, you know, no quote unquote results. Like my life wasn't better. In fact, it felt worse, it felt harder. There was more shame, all these things. Um, so ultimately, eventually I got out of there. <laughs> I started to run away and started looking for, is there such a thing as a community? Asking this question, is there such a thing as a community where we can lean into something that feels like home, something that allows us to rest. And and, um, what would it look like for our faith to be one, you know, where where the yoke is easy and the burden is light, so to speak? (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. I too, as like reading these these sections um 
on the mustard seed and the and the faith stuff um also brought to mind just a memory of a friend of mine um named Chad who I met when I worked uh in a Methodist church mm-hmm. and Chad um Chad is gay and when Chad was growing up he very much believed that um there was something inherently wrong with him um he i mean this story of i don't have enough faith i can't change this about myself you know prayed consistently um checked him checked himself into um like a gay conversion therapy rehab um in tennessee Hmm. um and and all of it was kind of around this this exact thing we're talking about the something is wrong with me i don't have enough faith i can't change this about myself um and just um i don't know hearing hearing that you know chad tell that story and then also um kind of seeing that story um in your book as well um just kind of really goes to show like that obviously it can't be a one-off kind of thing right yeah but probably this is there's a lot of people yes feeling these things lacking freedom you're talking about right right and i think like i i I deeply believe this like it's it's certainly like my story is similar to what you just said but like it's not just gay people like it's not just queer people who are experiencing this like the the woman you talked about like i wonder like that sense of she's having to give so much of her money away that question of maybe you do have enough i don't know her financial situation but like if you were to stop giving to the church like maybe you could afford groceries like all like all of these things that that are reinforcing the system of, of striving after something that uh the the carrot and the stick it keeps moving away you can never reach it yeah I- yeah, so to that point in in my in my case in my story, one of the aspects of that has been um when I was a pastor, I felt like I didn't live up to or fit what a pastor is. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly striving to be this other thing that was not myself. You know, that wasn't who um who I am. I I was trying to it was a facade, it was a mask. Um, and con- that constantly trying to become whatever the fuck I thought pastor meant, <laughs> um, was draining yes. and, um, and, and ultimately, um, along with, you know, it, tons of other things led to burnout. Yeah. I was going to say, that's a recipe for burnout. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm no exactly longer a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And well, <clears throat> so the next section in your book, um, you use a metaphor that I really liked, mm-hmm. um, another one, which was this idea of a concrete box. And um, I really liked that section, particularly because of just how um, like earthy it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved you, you know, sharing about um, kind of the the stories and experiences uh with you know growing up with your parents and and working soil and gardening and um all these kind of things uh but i was wondering if um it wouldn't be too much just to kind of ask if you could kind of elaborate on this idea of a, a concrete box mm-hmm. and um why you think that um or not why you think how you attach that or how you see that as a metaphor um for our our faith or our set of beliefs yeah yeah this kind of all came to me as like i was you know in the midst of the pandemic early on pandemic 2020 i i bought this like online course called uh concrete furniture making for beginners and uh (laughs) wanted to like start making concrete furniture because i thought it would be cool and you know get this course realized very quickly the whole course was in Spanish (laughs) Uh, so I didn't understand a word of it but but it made me remember that like this wasn't the first time that I watched people work with concrete without really understanding what was going on brought me back to these memories with my dad who who worked with concrete all the time 
And, and it opened up all these memories and all this thinking then around concrete, which is such an odd thing to spend hours thinking about. But we're in the middle of the pandemic. Like, what else are we going to do? And, and I realized, like, there, concrete has this principle where it, like, can be incredibly brittle. Like, so I'm, like, walking by this terrace wall near my house and seeing, like, there are cracks in it. Um, I also had this experience where, like, water was getting into my apartment because the concrete wall had broken. So incredibly brittle. And yet some of the strongest buildings in the world are made out of concrete. And I was like, how can this be? And found the, 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 the reason is because concrete gets stronger if it's, if it's mixed correctly under compression. You can compress concrete and it can be inc it can incredibly strong. Um, but it is very brittle under tension. So, so if you don't have that pressure, that compression, um, it can snap like that. Um, and I was like, that, that actually reminds me of my faith. Like I was taught to have a faith that you put all of this pressure on pressure of like martyrdom. Like I grew up in that, in that world where like the Columbine shooting had just happened. Like, do you believe in God? Like, will you martyr yourself for your faith? Like all of this pressure, apologetics, you have to be able to back everything up. Um, but the moment some tension was introduced into my faith, introduced into my faith through the form of empathy, <laughs> seeing someone who was experiencing pain, who didn't fit the mold of what I was taught about people who experienced pain, uh, everything started to shatter. And, and that was the metaphor, is the metaphor I play with in this book of what happens when the tension of empathy starts to introduce cracks into our faith and we realize the whole thing is crumbling. The, the pressure falls off, the thing falls apart. What do we do with all these pieces? Yeah, that I, yeah, I think you stumbled onto something wonderful there because the, <laughs> it felt, it felt so true um, in my experience as well. Um, especially too, I, I think of um, when I think of, you know, kind of the pressure on the faith and like the martyrdom stuff that you're talking about. Um, for me, I never really had too much um, of like the martyrdom stuff explicitly. Mm -hmm. Um there was some of it with like rapture theology sure. stuff. Um, and like we did, I mean, geez, not, and I'm having a memory, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, I remember some kind of crazy stuff that like a youth pastor of mine did um, with some of the martyr stuff where uh, we were like, you know, it looks like the church was shut down and we couldn't get into it. And so it was like, Oh, well, like something bad happened. There was like, please tape everything. We can't go into the wow. church. We're going to have to meet in the shed tonight. And then we're like in the shed and like halfway through the service, a dude in like full military garb kicked the fucking door down. Uh -uh. <laughs> and so, geez, now that we're talking, I guess Ooh. that that was deep, man. I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, and, and and that's what it was. It was this like martyrdom. Are you going to stand for your faith kind of thing? Um, but that all that to say, one of the things that the, the idea of that pressure reminds me of. Um, or, or points to, I think, is this something you get to much later in the book, which is the in-group, out-group thing. Mm -hmm. I think kind of the pressure, the pressurization of faith solidifies because it it helps give us an identity of like, this is the group we belong to. Yes. Um, and like we as human beings long, <laughs> long for that, right? A basic human need is, is to fit in and to belong. And so that kind of pressurizing of the faith kind of, I feel like maybe ties into that. Again, I'm not a psychologist. Um, I'm interested in maybe your, your thoughts there. Oh, I, I mean, I think you're spot on there. Like not only do we need to feel like we belong or in, in the in group, but really the one of the only ways to know whether you're in the group, in the in group is to define who's in the out group, <laughs> who you're not in. And so having that, yeah, it, it, it helps coalesce an identity uh, uh, compression pressure <laughs> of, of who we are as Christians or whatever, but also who we are not. We're not like those people. Uh, and, 
I will, that is a lot of the ways as, as humans, I, I believe how we get to know ourselves, how we know our identities is by this creation of who is in and who is out. Mm. Yeah, maybe um, we can kind of return to that because I, I think it was interesting, uh, the stuff you did with uh, Girard and scapegoat theory um, yeah. later on in the book, but um, I don't want that to kind of overcome the the tension aspect in your metaphor because, um, again, this is a place where I, I found myself in your story um, was the empathy bit because mm-hmm. uh, – so a little bit, you know, about myself, I definitely tend to um, live in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, you know, intellectualized a lot of things. And um, that can be cool. But also, I've been learning and, and getting better at um, trying to get away from that um, all the time as a primary focus, because what I found about myself is that I'll intellectualize things so I don't have to feel them. Yeah. Right. And so it's almost like a form of escapism, right? (laughs) Uh, if I'm uncomfortable about a situation or I don't know the answer to a question, I'm going to go read 10 books about it (laughs) and then it'll, it'll help me not actually, you know, focus on it. Um, but I, in, I know that yeah, one it's well a weird That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> it's a weird diet. It's like a weird paradox, but it's a yeah. thing. Um, but the empathy piece really is when I look into my own journey as a, like a holy runaway um, or, uh, you know, my journey of becoming or spiritual growth or development, whatever you want, whatever language you like. Um, when I came to the realization that my interior world and my exterior world were at odds um, and the kind of people or the ideas or beliefs or whatever that I was told were evil and not great. Um, then I met people who held those beliefs or were those bad people. Right. And it didn't line up. That kind of started to put cracks, you know, in, in my concrete box. Um, and then just becoming uh, friends with people who thought differently than me or looked different than me or, was from a different, you know, um, weren't like a white American dude or something like that. Those kind of just personal experiences start to crack that foundation because then it's not this pure intellectual exercise, but rather it's an embodied experience. And at least for me, that kind of embodied experience tends to, to beat out my, uh, intellectual, (laughs) you know, pursuits. Right. Right. I mean, it, 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 it introduces a level of you know cognitive dissonance where now you have competing intellectualization in some ways like sure like we're talking about something happening in your body but i think for you sound so similar to me in this way like that that flight to the to intellectualization as a defense um <laughs> like you now have knowledge uh, that this person who i was told x y and z about is not actually like that. So you're thinking that alongside all of your other beliefs that you were taught <laughs> around what that person actually is and you have cognitive dissonance. And, and that starts to shake things up, crack things. And, and we have a choice there. And I talk about this a lot in the book. We have this choice of then, do we actually start to listen to people? Do we turn toward the person on the side of the road who has been beat up, but who isn't part of our in-group, playing with a parable here, <laughs> uh, do we actually turn toward that person or do we fly back to our dogma, what we have been taught about that person and ignore them? Uh, and when we choose to turn towards those people, uh, ourselves, <laughs> in a lot of ways, uh, everything starts to change yeah absolutely and i i'm kind of reminded too um and i mean it's kind of what we're talking about but just the importance of relationship um and i I saw something recently i'm trying to remember exactly what they were referencing but essentially um picture some kind of perceived out group uh this person was saying 
do you know anybody in perceived out group? If you do not, then shut up about this because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think that's just so true. Hmm. Um, I know at least for me, that's been my experience, right? Like I, I grew up um, being taught that, uh, I don't know, oh, like don't talk to Buddhist people because they're scary and it's going to, you know, make you become, you know, whatever. Um, and then I actually started reading a lot of Buddhist literature um, and found it not to be true. And I made some Buddhist friends. Um, and actually, Buddhism is an integral part of my faith today. And it didn't demean or destroy, but it actually enhanced and made more beautiful. And I learned so much, um, not even just about like my own faith, but about myself and about other people. And so I think that relational aspect um, is just is just so key. Yes. Um, and I think too particularly in this um kind of you know in this aspect of the conversation and and you mentioned this in your book there's kind of a a bit of like a nefarious um kind of idea or teaching built in where we're told like not to trust um our emotions not to trust our experience not to have empathy right it's sinful it's this or that um and I wonder if that's just because people know the power of relationship and what happens when we actually do as you're saying, turn um, to the other and kind yes. of embrace them. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's, it usually happens on a more unconscious level. Like I, I don't know that well, I'm sure there are people who are intentional about this for sure. But like, I think for many of us, it, it happens at an unconscious level that we know if we start to listen to someone, interact with someone, whatever, that that will threaten for many of us, the very core of what we believe uh, so we stay away. Mm, we reapply the tension, the compression. Hmm. Yeah, and I see this too. The kind of tension and and doubling down, um, playing out in, uh, and again, this is something you kind of talk about um, later in your book. But I, I think it it just I don't know. I like your metaphor. It it ties in here. Um, you have this bit where you talk about, um, you know, kind of when people experience uh, switching sides, so to speak. So maybe you grew up super conservative and then you kind of make the switch. Mm -hmm. um, and I think specifically one of the examples you give was like thinking about people as inherently bad and then just changing to people are good. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, doubling down on that. But I think what's interesting about this and that you point out is that um, – when we still kind of have this like apply pressure mindset the like growth hasn't really happened. We've just kind of switched sides yep. um, and we become fundamentalists just on the opposite side of things. Right. So we just changed out who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. Yep. Um, and that oftentimes is my biggest frustration in um, a lot of the kind of circles that you know, this podcast gets lumped in with, which is fair enough. Um, like in some of the kind of um, deconstruction um, communities and movements, I see that thing happening, and then this kind of like doubling down and dogmatism that I thought I was getting away from. But also, in reflecting on this, I see myself in that as well because. I did that. <laughs> right. There are there are episodes of this podcast that are me doing that thing, and so I'm not saying that to discredit anybody, but I'm just saying it's it's interesting that that um, the you know the pressure and and the compacting um, isn't just necessarily about holding on to conservative belief or ideology, but it can also serve the same function on the other side of the the table or you know the line, whatever, so to speak. Right. Yeah, I think that's such an important point 
like, like I because I do believe like swapping those things and, and you can fill in the blank there of what you're swapping <laughs> swapping those things we don't actually move that far and, and, and I want to be I want to add some nuance here and be really careful with language because there, there's a lot of people who will use this point to kind of whitewash differences and say we're all the same see we're all the same we're just doing the same thing and that's not true we're not the same like we may have changed deeply in our beliefs what we believe about people even how we treat people. And I think it's really important to note, there are very real differences when we swap those sides. But but the fulcrum <laughs> can still be the same. And, and that's what I'm speaking to. That like that mechanism of what makes us tick can still be the same. And it means we haven't changed our environments. We've only changed beliefs. And, and what I'm interested in is how do we actually change our environments to step into freedom and not this mechanism of creating who is in and who is out and receiving our identities based off of that. Yeah, that's so good. And you have this funny line um, at the end of, uh, you know, one of your sections when you were talking about that idea and you kind of use this like knitting versus crocheting metaphor. Um, and you make the point you just did by saying, even if the, uh, you know, basically that um, you now, you know, have switched teams or whatever. And you say, like, even if the crocheters are objectively assholes. So like, there is still a very real difference. And I yes. love that. I was like, I was like, yes, I, yeah. Cause I, I, I felt that on like a, a visceral and a gut level. I was like, yes, I do think <laughs> some of these other people are objectively assholes. Yes. But I also want to have self-awareness and, and be aware of what I'm doing at the same time. Um, but I, I love that. And the, the environment thing really spoke to me um, as well. Actually, I read that this morning, um, this the bit about changing environments. And um, it felt appropriate because like, as I was telling you before I, I hopped on here or we, you know, we started recording that I started a new job today. Mm -hmm. um, and for whatever I don't know, crazy reason. I took a job as a parish administrator at a small uh, local progressive Episcopal church, um, which is a big risk uh, for me, but I, it also feels right. Um, but what, what I noticed though, is when you're talking about this shift in environment um, is I, I tried doing the thing that you talk about um, where you just went and found another church um, I think you said you just found a church that was gayer or something like that. It's how yep. you phrased yep. it in the book, which made me <laughs> chuckle. Um, but I did that when I experienced the kind of um, like the the abuse I had at the first church I worked at. I just went and tried to find another church mm -hmm. and didn't actually unpack the, the harm, the damage that was there. And then I did the same thing when I went to the third church. And ultimately, that's when I discovered like, OK, this is not working. And I had to shift environments. I went from working in a church to working in a brewery yeah. <laughs> like, yes. to making beer. And it was actually in that shift. I've, you know, I've talked about this extensively um, on this podcast, but in that actual change and shift in environment is where I actually started to find freedom. Yes. Um, and that was, that was huge for me. Mm. Um, yeah. And I don't think, not that everybody has to like go back to church or something like that, but I don't think I would have been able to make the decision that I did today and start working in an Episcopal church if it wasn't for those, that actual big shift in environment and looking at, like actually looking at the wounds. What was it that actually hurt me? Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. So that was really big. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and you're, you are like, you're giving away and rightfully so like the whole point of the entire book, like spoiler alert, <laughs> the point of the book is like, in order to be able to change environments in order to actually heal, we have to be able to engage our own pain and we have to be honest about it. And it's only through that diving into our pain that, that we will be able to come out the other side and, and hopefully find environments that are healing um that are different from these environments where again we receive identity this is very gerardian but where we receive identity based on who's in and who's out yeah 
Yeah, well, since you, I guess since you brought up the Girardian bit, um, how do you see Girardi, uh, <laughs> Girardi, goodness, Gerard, and uh, his like kind of uh, scapegoat theory? Um, where do you see that fitting into the the conversation? I think it's all over the conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, 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 I mean that is like th- this this idea of I mean Gerard's basic idea is that yeah we create identity through this in and out mechanism. We we choose a victim again on more of an unconscious level. We project everything we don't like about ourselves onto that victim. This can happen both on an individual and societal level. We cast that person out. It, it helps create peace, a pseudo peace, but peace. Um, and it, that mechanism, though, is violent. It is fundamentally violent. Uh, and I, he argues that most religion is created through that mechanism. Uh, it is to reinforce these systems of scapegoating, ostracizing, profound violence, uh, and he suggests that you know there's there's another way which is receiving identity from and now i'm borrowing a little bit from james allison because james allison fleshes gerardian theory out into theology a lot more but by by receiving an identity from something other than this this in and out mechanism and yeah go into way more detail on that in the book hopefully make a lot more sense as you read it but like (laughs) yeah it's, it's all over the place yeah, I um I really appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the the work of Gerard. I know um I first encountered Gerard when I was like really into atonement theories, you know, when I was trying to figure out what the heck I thought about that. Yeah. Um and then also we've had uh Jennifer Garcia Bashaw um wrote a book. I, I mm. if I remember correctly, it's called Scapegoats. Um that kind of, you know, takes this into, uh, you know, and does some like biblical literature, like analyzation with it, which was a lot yeah. of fun. Yes. But the, this, all right. So I, I try not to do this, but I'm, I always end up coming to this point somehow. It's my plug for process relational thinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is I think one thing that is so beautiful about process and relational thinking is that it offers what you're talking about. Because it doesn't have this in-group, out-group, but rather recognizes um, the deep interconnectedness of all things. Yes. And how um, we can't, we have this tendency to uh, break apart and whittle down and try to understand things as separate um, and and, and individuals. And the reality is, if we're going to tell the story of josh patterson we can't tell that story without now also including my relationship with matthias roberts <laughs> Overemphasis to get to to recorrect for my past sins um and in the same way um your story is now deeply interconnected with mine um and it has been since you know our our, our first conversation and and even beyond that because I was connected with Dan and and you've been connected with Dan before that. So, et cetera. So all that to say for me, when I, when I think about that and take it seriously, um, I can then recognize that when Jesus says something like what you do to the least of these, you do unto me, he wasn't bullshitting like in a very true sense. Um, And that just kind of uh, for me, like opens up this, I don't know. It makes me stop. It makes me think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of this phrase Richard Rohr <clears throat> uses where he says a Christian is is one who can see Christ um, in and through all things. Mm-hmm. And so when I can, when I, you know, can um, look at you through, <laughs> through the Zoom call um, and recognize Christ in you um, or in my neighbor or even in my enemy, right? Yeah. Um, then those those walls kind of fall down yes um, right so that's my that's my process relational plug <laughs> love it i love it yes it's so true yeah <laughs> uh well all right so i already did um 
a lot of spoilers, but I'm just I'm interested um, because, I, you know, like I said, I was honest with you prior to hopping on. Um, I have not finished um, your book yet, although I am going to. I have really enjoyed reading this um, in the mornings and it, it really has provided this nice um, contemplative start to my day. Mm. Um, but I'm curious where like where do you find yourself now? Um, you you know, you've you share this holy runaway journey in your book. Um, where where do you see yourself? Do you still call yourself a holy runaway? Are you, you know, I don't know. No. Where are you today? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the answer is yes and no. And, I, and that's kind of where I end up in the book is there's this, there's this yes and no space of, um, of, of wondering, but where there's actually space. <laughs> where that's okay and and where there's there's a lot less pressure uh to be curious to wonder imagine what faith looks like uh to engage these questions with myself but also within community in ways that look really different from how i was taught it had to look uh and, and so you know i i think i've walked away from writing this book but also in my own life with, with a sense of a lot more freedom and, and, and hoping that this book then offers and, and helps people find some of that freedom for themselves to take that pressure off, take the indictment off and, and let us step into something that's a lot more kind, uh, life-giving and, and yeah, removes that pressure uh, so that we can find more wholeness. Yes. I love it. It, um, I don't know. I, I can't remember her name. So, um, forgive me, but I heard, uh, she was on, I forget Roar's podcast for a while, but she has her own podcast now. And I love listening to it. She just did this whole series on composting theology mm -hmm. or composting Christianity. Um, but when she was asked, by one of the guests, if she considered herself a Christian, um, she says, I don't know that I am, but I don't know that I'm not. Mm. And I remember just smiling when I heard that, because again, I felt seen. Um, yeah. And this like, this like, yes and no kind of, uh, you know, answer you give, but then also with the caveat of like, being in a environment in a space where that is okay, and it's, um, it's welcome does have that freedom that uh i don't know this guy jesus talked about <laughs> right <laughs> um and some of those other spaces so i don't know i yeah i i think it's beautiful and i i really i'm i'm grateful that um you were willing to kind of share your story and and be honest about where you find yourself cuz i think it, not in like a um like top down like patriarchal kind of way but in like a more helpful way i think it it gives people permission to know that they're not alone in feeling um the way that they do mm -hmm. um and knowing that other people also exist in these spaces where um well yes but also maybe no i don't know but i'm okay with that i think yeah. there's something beautiful to that and uh i think in those kind of spaces um in spaces of acceptance is where true transformation can happen. Yes, right. Mm. I don't think it's when people tell us that we suck. <laughs> right. I don't that's see the, that doesn't that's work too well. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. it's in those places of, of acceptance. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. Well, mm. I have like genuinely really um, enjoyed your book. I'm going to continue to uh <laughs> enjoy your book and i've i've enjoyed our time together today Thank are you. are there any um thoughts or anything like that that you just want to share with listeners as we kind of wrap up our conversation uh i mean go go pick up a copy <laughs> you can get it wherever books are sold holy runaways rediscovering faith after being burned by religion um and shoot me no i genuinely would love to hear what people think of the book um like i that's why i write and so would love to hear from folks 
Yeah, sweet. And it comes, the book comes out in October, right? Yep. Or, okay, cool. And yeah, I know, um, and I know pre-orders really help, um, help the authors. So yes. friends, yeah, pre-order. Yes. Great, great idea. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. With thank that. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that as well, I'll be sure to kind of include like in the show notes, um, a link so people can pre-order your book. Um, but also I can tag like, um, do you have like a personal website or anything like that, that you would like me to direct people to? Yeah. MatthiasRoberts.com. It's great. Um, and Perfect. Then I'm, I'm Matthias Roberts across social media. So. Hooray. <laughs> great. Good deal. All right. Well, again, thank you. And listeners, um, as always, thanks for, for hanging out today and, um, may you guys go in peace and love and acceptance. Oh, 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 oh,